Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD Radio on XM 160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the 2010 American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology annual meeting. The meeting took place February 26th through March 2nd in New Orleans. I'm your host for conference coverage highlights, Dr. Markina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted nearly 5,000 attendees from around the world. Highlights included studies suggesting there may be effective treatments for children with food allergies and urban children with asthma, along with sessions devoted to immune tolerance and allergies and personalized medicine, which was the topic of the presidential plenary session. Program co-chair Dr. R. Stokes Peebles of Vanderbilt University in Nashville said that hopefully in the next 10 years, we'll be able to tailor our medication prescribing toward individuals rather than population groups because many of the medications we use are ineffective in large segments of the population. He expressed hope that clinicians could soon determine in advance which patients will have a good response to a treatment and those which will experience side effects. Several studies presented at the meeting showed that oral immunotherapy may be safe and effective for allergies to peanut, egg, and milk. In one promising multi-center trial, researchers from Duke, Johns Hopkins, Mount Sinai, National Jewish, and the University of Arkansas randomly assigned 55 egg-allergic children to receive either egg white solid oral immunotherapy or placebo. After three dosing phases of initial escalation, buildup, and maintenance, followed by an oral food challenge at approximately 44 weeks, they found that 21 of the 40 children in the immunotherapy group passed the oral food challenge. None of the 15 children in the placebo group passed. One of the authors of the study from Johns Hopkins University Medical Center said in a statement that this study provides further evidence that treatment for patients with severe food allergy may soon be possible. In a related study, researchers from clinics in Dallas and El Paso, Texas, performed office-based oral allergen immunotherapy to desensitize 50 egg, milk, or peanut allergic patients with anaphylactic sensitivity. Treatment occurred in two stages. On day one, patients were given increasing doses of the allergic food. They were then given the last tolerated dose three times a day for at least four days, then asked back to the clinic for a challenge to the increased dose. Doses were increased until the patient could eat the allergic food without restriction. Of the 50 patients in the cohort, 28 became tolerant of their allergic food, including 7 with egg allergy, 5 with milk allergy, and 16 with peanut allergy. However, 14 patients developed significant reactions requiring epinephrine treatment. Three of these patients subsequently dropped out of the study. The authors of this study concluded that although significant reactions can frequently occur, for many patients, careful, office-based, oral food desensitization appears safe and effective. In addition, researchers from three institutions, Northwestern University, the University of Illinois, and Boston University, conducted a large-scale candidate gene study to investigate the role of genetic variants in food sensitization. The study included 931 children from the Boston birth cohort. Logistic regression models were used for assessing the associations of each single nucleotide polymorphism, or SNP, with sensitization to seven common foods. The researchers found that specific gene polymorphisms were associated with sensitization to peanut, egg, and milk. In ethnicity-specific analyses, the NFKB1 gene was consistently associated with sensitization to each specific food in white and Hispanic children only. They also found polymorphisms in the RXRB gene and the HLA-DPB1 gene to be strongly associated with sensitization to peanut. 
The authors of the study conclude that multiple genetic polymorphisms may influence the risk of food sensitization, and their effects need to be assessed both as a whole sample as well as by specific food and by ethnicity. Two promising studies were presented that addressed peanut-allergic children specifically. Both studies were done at the Duke University Medical Center and the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. The first study was designed to determine if oral immunotherapy leads to clinical desensitization and induces long-term tolerance. Children with peanut allergy were randomized to receive peanut immunotherapy or placebo during initial escalation, build-up and maintenance dosing, then oral food challenge. Participants then either stayed on peanut immunotherapy or crossed over to it. They found that the immunotherapy recipients could tolerate a 5,000 milligram dose of peanut compared to only 315 milligrams for those in the placebo group. The same group of researchers conducted a second study in which 12 children received oral immunotherapy for between 32 and 61 months and then continued on oral food challenges. Nine of these 12 children were considered clinically tolerant after a four-week oral food challenge and now have peanut in their diets. Two studies looked at links between children's asthma and maternal exposures to the chemical bisphenol A or the nutrient folate. A mouse study at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Texas, looked at the threshold of exposure to bisphenol A or BPA found in plastics and the aluminum lining of food and beverage cans on allergic sensitization toward airway inflammation and hyperresponsiveness in pups. The pups were exposed to BPA via maternal mice-fed water laced with the chemical. Serum levels were measured at 22 days after birth. Maternal loading of BPA was varied at concentrations of 0, 0 0.1, 1, and 10 milligrams per milliliter. The 10 milligrams per milliliter concentration was associated with increased allergic sensitization, bronchial inflammation, and hyperresponsiveness in pups. The lower concentrations of the chemical were not. In a second study, investigators in Norway looked at the association between folate supplements in pregnancy and respiratory diseases in infants. Associations have previously been reported in infants up to 18 months of age. The study investigated maternal plasma folate levels during pregnancy and asthma in children at age 3. Folate levels during the second trimester were measured in 507 mothers whose children went on to develop asthma at age 3 and in over 1,400 mothers of controls. Investigators found that the children born to mothers in the top 20% of plasma folate levels had an increased risk of asthma at age 3 compared to mothers who had the lowest levels of folate. They also found that as the mother's folate levels increased, so did children's risk of having asthma at age 3. In research on uncontrolled pediatric asthma, one of the meeting's highlights was a symposium presentation suggesting that the anti-immunoglobulin E drug omalizumab may be an effective treatment for uncontrolled asthma in inner-city children. These findings were too preliminary for presentation as an abstract or published study at this year's meeting, but the meeting's program co-chair called the findings exciting. The key findings were that omalizumab was associated with a 25% reduction in days with asthma symptoms and a 30% reduction in the number of patients with asthma exacerbations among inner-city children who were already receiving standard therapy. In addition, omalizumab appeared to blunt the seasonal pattern of exacerbations, which are more common in the spring and fall. Another asthma study was presented by researchers from Columbia University in New York City. This study suggested that increased roadway density may be associated with an increased risk of asthma and cough in urban children through heightened exposure to traffic-related air pollution. 
For example, the researchers found that a 0.36-kilometer increase in length of highways was associated with a 12% increased probability of cough within the following year. A 2.3-kilometer increase in trucking route density was associated with a 14% increased probability of cough. These investigators concluded that geographic indicators may serve as surrogates of exposure to traffic-related air pollution when measurements are not available. Another study presented by researchers from the National Institutes of Health looked at immune responses in 141 parasitic worm-infected patients and 165 uninfected controls. Investigators found that infected patients had significantly increased levels of immunoglobulin E to house dust mite and cockroach compared to controls. The authors conclude that this data reveals a strong structural similarity between major aeroallergens and immunogenic helminth proteins, suggesting that the relationship between atopy and parasitic worms may occur at the epitope level. Also in a plenary presentation by UK researcher Dr. Stephen Durham of the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, one of the meeting's major themes of immune tolerance and development of aeroallergens as well as food allergies was touched on. In this session, Dr. Durham presented research showing that the cytokine profile to a specific allergen is a positive predictor of benefit in patients receiving immunotherapy to that allergen. Research on step-up therapy for uncontrolled asthma in children was presented at the meeting. The study was also published online in the March 2nd issue of the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with the meeting. Researchers selected 182 children, ages 6 to 17 years old, with uncontrolled asthma, who were receiving 100 micrograms of fluticasone twice daily. The children were randomized to receive each of the following three blinded step-up therapies in random order. Low-dose inhaled corticosteroid of 250 micrograms of fluticasone twice daily, 100 micrograms of fluticasone plus 50 micrograms of a long-acting beta agonist twice daily, or 100 micrograms of fluticasone twice daily plus 5 or 10 milligrams of a leukotriene receptor antagonist daily. Therapies were given in random order for 16 weeks. The researchers found that 98% of the children had a differential response to each step-up therapy. The therapy most likely to provide the best response was the long-acting beta agonist step-up as compared to the other two therapies. Caucasian race and higher asthma control test scores prior to randomization predicted a better response to long-acting beta agonist step-up. African-American patients were least likely to have the best response to leukotriene receptor antagonist step-up. An editorial accompanying this study in the New England Journal of Medicine said that given these findings, clinicians must stay closely tuned to the patient's condition as there is simply no substitute for attentive individual follow-up. For adults, the prevalence of asthma has increased significantly since the year 2000 in more than one-third of the states in the United States. Researchers at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta used data from the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System from the years 2000 through 2008. Current asthma patients were identified as those who were told by a healthcare professional that they had asthma and patients who identified themselves as still having asthma. Prevalence was defined as the proportion of people in the population who had asthma at this given point in time. Researchers found that the overall rate of asthma prevalence in the U.S. was nearly 8%. 19 states and Washington, D.C. experienced increases in the prevalence of asthma over the nine-year period. State-by-state, prevalence of adult asthma ranged from 5% in Louisiana to nearly 11% in Rhode Island. The three-year average declined only in the state of Nevada. However, the decrease of 0.2% was not significant. Nationally, the three-year averages consistently increased by half a percent. 
The highest increases in the three-year averages occurred in Oklahoma, where the increase was over 2%, and Alabama, where the increase was nearly 2%. The authors concluded that these variations might be due in part to differences in demographic factors, socioeconomic conditions, health service access, local ordinances, or environmental features. Further study to identify state-specific factors could improve understanding of asthma etiology in order to improve patient self-management and to promote state-specific prevention strategies. According to researchers in Italy, climate changes over the past quarter century may have increased the pollen load of some allergenic species in that country and therefore the rates of allergic sensitization to those species. Italian researchers recorded pollen counts, season's duration, and the prevalence of sensitizations to five major pollens, birch, cypress, olive, grass, and pyrotaria, in Italy's Bogadera region between 1981 and 2007. Their research uncovered progressively increasing duration of the pollen seasons of pyrotaria, olive, and cypress, and steadily increasing pollen load for all species except grasses. The percentage of patients sensitized to those allergens also increased over the years of study compared to the percentage of subjects sensitized to house dust mite, which remained stable. These behaviors paralleled the progressive increase in direct radiation and, at a lesser extent, the temperature. The authors credit the length of study with the ability to document changes in the climate. They conclude that increasing temperatures may increase pollen load and the rate of allergic sensitization. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology's 2010 annual meeting, which took place February 26th through March 2nd in New Orleans. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by Health Day.